Yeah, you know, I think it's it's providing it's providing more insight to be able to make better decisions quicker. And while right now, you know, the we've got spiked wheels on on our uh, on our robot, and if we're honest with ourselves, we built that for traction. But we're seeing that that's helping that that's helping manage the litter. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operation safe. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Eastman serves veterinarians and nutritionists in agrochemical and animal health industries by helping them select, evaluate, and implement innovative nutritional programs. Eastman works with your team to customize your gut health approach in feed and water. Eastman's approach addresses nutritional and bacterial challenges and finds new ingredient preservation and hygiene solutions. Explore ways to accelerate and innovate your programs. Contact the Animal Nutrition Team at Eastman.com. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. Today I'm here with Dusty Reynolds, and we're going to be talking about automation in the poultry industry. Welcome to the show, Dusty. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Excited for this. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. Um, can you first tell us a little bit about how you got into the poultry industry? Are you are you a full fledged chicken guy? Or are you <laughs> are you more more into the engineering side? <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, if you looked at my ring camera, you would probably see a lot more beef on my smoker than what you would uh, what you would poultry. Um, maybe that's Nebraska in me. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, you know we we got introduced to uh, to poultry basically at the same time the state of Nebraska did. When you when you look at Lincoln Freeman Poultry entering the, the landscape a handful of years ago um there's a lot of people that jumped on board of that to be able to one produce the birds but then also gain employment at the, at the processing facility so that's when i first got exposed to it so i know a whole lot more about four-legged animals than i do too but uh learning more and more by the day <laughs> oh awesome well uh, the fun the fun thing about the two-legged animals is sometimes they can make you look more like a, a fool than the four-leggeds do because you think, oh, it's just a chicken, right? But then they're super fast. They can fly a little bit. Like <laughs> they can make anyone look like a fool really quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're much more honorary, I'd say that. Oh my gosh, yeah, really fun. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about about your job, what you're doing in the industry? Yeah, so uh, I've always been an entrepreneur, um, and uh, good friend Scott has been an entrepreneur as well. And so um, a couple of years ago, I was looking and saying, hey, there's there's a need to be able to. Uh, automate a few things on the actual production side and the first task that we set out was how to remove mortality from uh, from broiler barns and so understanding that labor shortages uh, were challenges pre-pandemic and now finding an employee is is basically impossible and so uh, 
building a robot to be able to go find and remove mortality was what we had initially set out to do um, and built a robot to be able to do that. And so because of that, we've, we've been introduced to some of the other problems that we're seeing within these barns. And at the end of the day, uh, we like to think that we're part of the conversation of how do you make poultry production specific to broilers? How do you do that with precision agriculture? And we think robotics is is part of that conversation. Gosh, yeah, that's so interesting. So so when you started uh, just talking about like the, the scope of automation that you've been working on, uh, what was tough about trying to bring your technology to the poultry industry? It seems like it might be quite a bit different than other other potential industries where you might be working on automation. Yeah, I, I sometimes admittedly can be really compulsive. I get excited quick and I just like to act. And, and unfortunately or fortunately, that's the way Scott is as well. And so um, there was such a clear cut need for something like this yeah. that we thought, let's let's go after it. And his his son, who was 15 at the time, um, was big into robotics, you know, wildly, wildly talented kid. He's at Colorado School of Mines now, 35 on his ACT. He's the one that, that built the robot. And so we saw that he was able to do that and there was such a clear value proposition that it made sense to do it. As we got deeper into this though, the thing that, and I, and I talk about this all the time, but it's it's a gross oversimplification. The poultry industry as a whole has really adopted automation quite well, but only part of the value chain. When you think of the hatchery, that's not as labor intensive for a human being as what it is to be raising broilers. Same goes for processing. There's there's lots of robotics, there's lots of automations that that allow the the, the growers um, to not have the advantage that perhaps someone in the hatchery or the processing side does. And so there's there's something that we need to be able to acknowledge, um, and we feel like bird's eye with our technology allows us to be able to acknowledge that in really meaningful ways. Yeah. So other than um, during the production side, picking up uh, mortalities and whatnot, um, what else do you think could be advanced in the actual production poultry house by automation? Like, are, is there anything else that you have your eye on? Yeah, you know, and it's, it's really interesting um, that you say that because what we've realized is, you know, nobody likes to pick up dead birds, but there's a lot of growers that they they want, and I would say that they should be in the barns. It's it's really hard to say that any technology is sophisticated or advanced enough to remove human interaction with the birds. It's and you've been there. You walk into a house, it just speaks to you in certain ways, right? And you can't necessarily mm-hmm. put words to it, but you get that gut feeling of what's going on. I think we're a long ways away from technology being able to to do that same thing. And so why I mentioned that is, is, is our model is how do we be able to make growers be able to be better growers and not necessarily replace anyone? And so when we think of that, it puts us in this position of saying, what are the different things out there that through either cameras on our system and computer vision, can we better detect a few things to where growers okay. can be doing the things that they want to do and not necessarily the mundane things like picking up deads. So you know, when we start to think of, of what the future looks like for us, one is basically a mobile sensing unit to be able to uh-huh. have precision um, environmental readings, you know, down to the inch or six inch or, or one foot level. So instead of a handful of ammonia probes hanging in a full barn, how can you get that at a much uh, smaller scale? So micro level versus uh-huh. macro level, being able to detect if a, if a drinker or, or a feeder line is, is, uh, is level, knowing that, yes, there's there's gauges on there to be able to detect if there's water pressure, but if you're an inch high on one side mm-hmm. versus the other, you you know oh, your right. problem. It's not a water pressure problem. It's it's hey we're not actually okay. level on that. 
Um, yeah. Animal welfare as well, being able to detect, hey, are, what are the, how are the birds doing in there? Are they being treated fairly? Um, 99.99% of the time, the answer is always yes to that. But we, we believe in being able to optimize the likelihood of birds being happy, knowing that happy birds are a profitable bird. And so we, we really like the idea of how can we help folks be better growers versus replace the grower inside of the barn. So why I mentioned that is, is there's a few different paths. One, yes, we can, we can come to the grower and say we can help with labor savings. But the reality is, is there's different types of growers, as you know, well, there's, there's the folks that have two, two houses or four houses, but there's also these commercial growers that are starting to pop up where, where they've got 50, a hundred, 200 houses out there and finding someone that's an animal science major 10 years out of school that they can go manage these barns those folks are begin, becoming harder and harder to find animal animal husbandry is not something that you can get from every animal science graduate and so how can we better help those commercial growers to be able to scale their operations as well is part of the equation so labor savings yes but also access to labor not just at the general labor level but that managerial level is stuff that we can help with yeah the the labor part is is really really interesting it's key because it's it's not just a poultry industry thing it's across all industries good competent labor with uh, a mind and a heart for poultry welfare is really really important <laughs> you know it's really hard to find i mean it's it's everyone talks about not being able to find the talent i would say that that's for sure true but you also have to have a heart for the the general laborers when they're they're walking inside the barn all day every day picking up deads you can't expect a 10 year of of that person to be five years like that's that's really laborious hard work and so anything that we can do to provide a little bit of of labor savings but also complementing what the grower wants to be doing makes a big difference yeah i i really like the idea though it's not a total human replacement because that you hit the nail on the head you're not you can help but you can't totally replace right with these autonomous technologies so so how do you think that the technology itself is changing the ecosystem within the poultry house like from a welfare from a how people interact with it standpoint yeah you know i think it's it's providing it's providing more insight to be able to make better decisions quicker and while right now you know the we've got spiked wheels on on our uh, on our robot and if we're honest with ourselves we built that for traction but we're seeing that that's helping that that's helping manage the litter and so there's the reason i mentioned that is there's been such little activity with robots within the barn we can forecast all we want and say look at all of the look at all the razzle dazzle we have and what it's going to do but what we're seeing is because so many of these industries that have not enjoyed automation or robotics the value proposition is a lot of times a lot more simple than what a lot of people think it is and that's why i mentioned litter management of you know you can go in there and you could you could till the bedding every person's picking up a dead bird they could figure out how to drag a hoe behind them or a rake and figure out how to turn that over um but it's really laborious one number two who knows if it's even providing any value a robot that can do that we didn't initially go out and say, hey, we're going to build a robot that's going to turn the litter over to, to better manage uh, the uh, the moisture levels in there. We didn't. That's something that we stumbled across. And so when we start to look forward and forecast as to what the future actually looks like for us, we're believing there's more things that are going to start surfacing that are more byproducts of just having a robot in there before we start doing anything that that's completely crazy. Um, 
and we get we get solicitations all the time of you know you think of a skid steer and it's got so many attachments we get so many different solicitations of what can be put on that robot that's going to be an attachment so that they don't have to do the cumbersome tasks anymore so um it's one cumbersome but then when you start to think about it, it it starts to add up when you think of uniformity thinking of if you're going to be applying some sort of applicant either to the litter or to clean the barn being able to have that on the robot is much different and much more uniform than a six foot four scrawny guy like me that's waving his arm that looks good for the first the first 50 foot but starts to get a little bit wobbly after that because i'm tired and so there's just different things like that that the robot i think is we're going to start seeing pop up once we have it in the barn um we see we see some differences right now but we're still so early so we like to dream but we're also realizing that there's a lot of things that are just really really simple based upon how early robotics is with within that uh, uh broiler production yeah so from kind of a practical basis um does the robot know i'm gonna say no like a human term but do they know where they're going do they are they able to pick up hot spots like what you're saying with a potential issue with litter or a potential issue with mortality? Is that something that you could see in the future as a benefit that it could be tracking um, issues over time or kind of trends over time to help the humans manage the building better? Definitely. Um, the uh, That's the path we're on. So when we look okay. at right now that there's, there's two different models of our robot. One will actually pick up the deads. And then okay. the other one just provides a heat map of it. And the reason really? for this is a lot of times when when someone's walking the floor, they spend so much time looking for deads, they're unable That's to right. be able to look and see for any other anomalies. They like they, yeah. they can even walk by a, a, a clogged auger and, and not yeah. even realize it and then say, oh, crap, I forgot to look at that notification. And so <laughs> um, one of the models marks the dead. Uh, we also mark if there's a downer bird, if there's one that needs to be ethically oh, euthanized. Sure. Um, we feel like that's part of the welfare conversation as well mm-hmm. of how can we how can we give a grower a notification so that that, that animal can be um, euthanized as it's as it deserves quick versus having to wait around mm-hmm. um, and so we present all of that in a product that's a software called barn chart mm-hmm. and so barn chart is the software it's an app that allows you to be able to see where all the deads were at um, it heat maps that but then it also gives you a photo of the birds so not that you can mm-hmm. Not that you can tell cause of death, but you can eliminate a few different things by looking at it. And as a vet, either with with a pharma or a vet that's with an integrator, they like to be able to see that. And historically, that's not information that you're going to get from a general laborer. You'll be lucky if you get a tally sheet at the end of the day to be able to say what you had for mortality that has give or take 50% accuracy, right? So um, being able to have the heat map is one, but being able to have photo is something as well. And that's just mortality. When we start to think of how can you do that with being able to measure uh, humidity or not humidity, moisture level within the litter? Mm-hmm. How do you do that with ammonia? How do you do that with wind speed, with with temperature? There's all these different things where when you can start correlating and layering these pieces of data, it starts to tell a story. And and a lot of times to the 30, 40 year old grower, they can um, they can walk in and and they can have that story in their head. But when you start to think of how are you going to be able to perhaps not have to pay attention to every last little thing? That's when you have data acquisition devices such as a robot that can help paint that picture a little bit more vividly. Um, so so how did you pick some of the more practical things as far as what it looks like 
for interacting with the bird. So the, you know, the size, how it gets under water lines if it needs to. Um, how do birds interact, I guess, with, with the robot? Are they curious about it? Do they just move away? Like, what, what were your considerations there, knowing that as a broiler um, grows, it kind of thinks maybe it wants to spend more time resting or things like that. It might be harder to move. <laughs> yeah, so we've we've always taken a barn-first approach. Um, so we've been really fortunate to be able to do our testing up here in Nebraska. And if we're building something, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for us to test that in, in a bed full of mulch with no live birds. And so yeah. we, we, yeah. we spent a ton of time with the barn and that's, it's not great for recruiting purposes when you think you get a, yeah. a robotics engineer and then they, they have to go <laughs> walk into a barn. That's typically not what they spent eight years in school for, but it, uh, it does make a big difference. And so just taking that pragmatic approach of being able to see what the, what the real life environment looks like has been, uh, has been a big difference for us. As far as how the birds interact, uh, we're in the process right now of, of, of measuring what the stress level is on a bird um, with a human in there versus a robot. We can tell visually um, the robot's in there for extended amounts of time. It can go 12, 14 hours a day. And so over the course of 40, 50 days, depending on how, how long the birds are alive, you can see where they get they get really comfortable with it. They're, they're not spreading their wings a lot. Um, and you've, you've been enough barns that if you walk in there and all the birds start scramming away, you can probably tell that the house hasn't been walked as often as what it should. Um, we notice that right now where the robots in there, there's the, the stress level that we can see visibly is significantly lower than, than humans walking in there. We've got a video capturing it as well, where the birds will just get out of the way. The really interesting thing is, um, when they move away, they, they don't just move away and sit down. They move away, and what do they do? They eat or they drink. And so oh, right. we're doing we're doing some pilot uh, studies right now, A-B testing some barns of robot in barn A, no robot in barn B, and then measuring and the conversion to be able to see yeah. how much the robots are uh, in, impacting conversion. Yeah, awesome. So from the, the difference in what the robots look like for kind of the data acquisition to the ones that can pick up mortality. Like if someone were interested in actually using this, how how many mortality can a robot handle at once? Like, um, is there a point when something happens in the barn and the let's say the robot like there's not enough space? You know what I mean? Like how what's the practical how's the functionality of picking up more what does it look like as far as picking up birds? Yeah, so we have a we have a rotational assembly of, of rubber fingers that it it'll grab the the bird and then bring that up and put it into uh, into a dump box. Um, you know, as far as what the limits are on this, we've not the obviously the older the birds get, the more space it's going to take. As far as weight wise, we can get anywhere between 150 and 200 pounds of of bird. So so it's it's pretty sizable. It's we've we've got a bad habit, and I blame I blame Scott for this because he overbuilds everything, but it, it ends up working out really well. We, uh, we, we can, we can move 150 pounds of bird on there after they get too big. Obviously we're not worried about the weight. Then we're just worried about the size on that. Uh, we did a little bit of testing with Turkey and that was, that was a challenge just because of the size at the end of the day, it's a matter of how we can adjust the size of it to accommodate for Turkey, but it's still the same principle of being able to, to have a unit that grabs the bird, puts them in the, in the, in the dump bed. If at any point the if at any point our computer vision 
senses anything that um, the bird is not dead, then it places them back down gently. And then what it does is it gives a not- notification to the grower with locations so they know exactly where they're at. That's interesting. So so as part of the automated function, it will pick a bird up and put it into the, the bucket if it's a mortality. Does it empty the bucket as well? Like, is it kind of like, uh, you know, the vacuums at your house, it empties the dust there and then goes back out? Or once it's full, you kind of have to go check on it and restart it? Yeah, so that's where we're going towards. Right now, what it does is yeah. it goes uh, to where it's based. And a lot of times it's based where the oh. access door or control room. So be and able then- to grab the bin and then put it in a compost pile from there. So ah. we take it right yes. next to the door so that way they know where, the, where they're at and come grab yeah. the box and then go do what it needs to do. Have you uh, ever used any of those robotics for other reasons, like uh, cleaning up toys uh, on the floor at home? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My son loves robotics, so he would do that in a heartbeat if I gave him the green light on that. Instead, instead Hudson, he's he's 11. Instead, he just takes everything else apart and tries to turn it into a robot. So it'd probably be a wise investment (laughs) for me just to give him a robot versus let him take apart everything else in the house. Yeah. Well, you got a bunch of freaking things like put together to make another <laughs> another that's, item. <laughs> that's so true. My kids are really big into they're really big into uh, into running, and so we just had a road race here a couple weeks ago, and they got they got a little light you put on your waistband, and so if you run at night, it it uh, it shines a light. And I keep it in the back in our lockers by the back of the house, so if we go for a run, we can put it on. And I've noticed today when I walked out, there's only one left on there. And I, I probably put two and two together that the other two that were up there, he's taken apart. I don't know why, but they're completely disassembled at this point. So there's nothing safe at this point. Oh, man. Well, it, it sounds like you'll continue on the trend of robotics with your kids or at least building building stuff from scratch. It's, that's pretty awesome to have that in common. I think you're right. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, so just speaking about the people who actually would be putting these to use um is this something that at least automating the picking up of mortality is this something that they're excited about because i feel like i would be but on the other hand it can also be difficult to adopt new technology so are are the producers excited about this aspect of automation yeah i think so for sure i mean there's there's a lot what we realize are folks that that have poultry barns as secondary income they they're they're completely crazy and emphatic about mortality removal. And the reason being is primary income is parking their tush in, in the tractor and figuring out how they can optimize what they're growing um, on their land. And so for them, they may or may not have help to be able to do things. So they're looking for anything and everything. And honestly, row crop farmers, they're more accustomed to being able to have automation and precision. Uh. And so their lens is a little bit different. Say the other 98% or 97% of the market, um, we segment that out in a few different ways. One is these commercial growers that I talked about where instead of having a handful of houses, they're having hundreds. They mm-hmm. they look and say, you know, we don't have as much problem finding folks that are doing the general labor. But what we do have a challenge with is finding folks like yourself that could say, hey, I could manage 50 of these barns if I had the right tools and I'd never have right. to leave Ames. I could, I could have the information come yeah. to me. And I can find good people to be able to go in the barn and I can really help them. So their value proposition is less on the actual mortality removal. Theirs is more around data acquisition, turning over the bedding, keeping the birds moving, and be able to better understand um, a little bit more information specific to mortality. So um, the the two value propositions are different. There's equal excitement, but what we realize is 
those folks that have secondary income, um, um, they're, they're one segment. And then the other would be these commercial growers. The, yeah. the larger market that, that has, um, you know, say folks that have been growing birds for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and they've, and, and, and they have two houses or four houses, their adoption to technology looks drastically different. And a lot of it is based on what the relationship looks like with, with the integrator is yeah. at, as a 1099 contracted employee, they're watching every last little penny because there's so much right. volatility with that. And so knowing that they have uh-huh. to buy the equipment themselves, um, they want to make sure that, that as much is worked out as humanly possible before they engage in any, any type of new technology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally understand that. Um, so you, you mentioned that maybe you've had a few prototypes or you have a little bit of work in turkey houses. Um, do you actually have barns that are using your work on the turkey side? And the reason I ask is because I know turkeys are so curious and they grow a lot bigger um, than broilers do. And I, I wonder if they interact with the robotics a little differently because <laughs> the, the uh, turkeys tend to follow you when we go into their houses while the, you know, the broilers kind of move away and then watch what you're doing. So I'm interested to see if the turkeys are maybe even curious and destructive <laughs> compared to broilers. I feel like, so I got to go back to my college days when I was around a few turkeys. Um, and that was, yeah, they are destructive. They're just, they're not kind animals. Like they, I, I just, they can be, uh, they can be beyond honor and rude pretty quick. Um, and I, we've only did testing. There is a, there's a partner of ours, um, in, uh, in Iowa and you know, we went and he, he has a pretty sizable operation. So we did some testing over there. Uh, I only saw a video of it and it wasn't too terribly much, but, the uh, they definitely respond to the robot differently. And so behaviorally, as we move and migrate, you know, right now we've got a, we've got a system that allows us to be able to move the, uh, the birds and be able uh-huh. to see them move a little bit away with turkeys that that's not as, that's, that's not as accepted by them as much. And so yeah. for us to be within, within Turkey, there's going to have to be some pretty wholesale adjustments on us to be able to do that. So I'm excited for it. We've got, um, one of our shareholders is, uh, um, the former CEO of Butterball and he's, He's uh, he's for sure trying to figure out how we can go down that path, but we're just we're just not ready yet. I I love the broiler market probably too much for me to seriously consider it, but it's it's definitely on the roadmap. I I just have the feeling that the older birds might think of it more as of a source of play enrichment than it would be for utility for the farmer, just because they're so curious. They might be like your son and telling you where the errors were made in the solid <laughs> construction. <laughs> It might take it apart for you. <laughs> it's a good value proposition for them. That's a good way to be able to strength test the robot. I I absolutely think they would strength test it for you. <laughs> they might even they might even let you know how many of them can ride on it at once. <laughs> <laughs> can be like the Roomba with uh, the videos of people's cats riding on the Roomba. I just. I just have a feeling the turkeys would be curious enough to let you know how many can be on there at once. <laughs> You're probably right. Feels like that's a good uh, Instagram, yeah. uh, a good Instagram video. Yeah. Um, have you have you thought about the laying hen market at all? That one is even, I'll say, more wild because you've got, especially in the free range, I could see the value there for picking up uh, eggs laid on the ground as well as mortality. But man, those birds are cruising the. 
they're able to move up and down multi-levels and then the dust i think just the 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 temperature and perhaps the dust would, could make it harder a harder environment for those the robots themselves definitely um yeah so we we've looked at that the our pickup system is probably better for mortality than what it is for eggs but it's it's achievable yeah. um the environment you're you're spot on i mean there's there's a lot of dust flying in those barns not that there's not in in uh, broilers but it's different um so yeah that's something that you know looking at what's the lowest hanging fruit that's the reason we went towards broiler but when we start looking you look at breeder as well like how can we be able to introduce technology there um you look at that on data acquisition piece like that's really really and uh that's really really important um yeah so layers turkeys all those are on the table it's a matter of if we say yes to one thing what do we have to say no to the others and Oh, for, te- yeah. for technology lovers, it's easy for us to say yes to most things, but business-wise, sometimes we can't do it. Yeah. Um, from from a functional standpoint, I just thought of another thing. What do you need in a barn to be able to use these? Is a Bluetooth capability a- acceptable? Do you need wireless internet for like the data acquisition? Um, some, some of our research at our farms sometimes can be li- limited just because of some of the internet access. So wondering you know what are the things you need as far as moving information from the robot is it bluetooth you know internet that sort of thing yeah infrastructure is for sure part of the conversation um we've got a pilot in uh, west virginia that has fiber and that's and that's fantastic and then you go to a place in nebraska <laughs> where you, you can't even take a cell call and so what we've been using so far is uh is starlink and and that's been Inter- that's been decent for us um we We've invested pretty heavily in teleoperations. So if you've got a robot in your barn, you can actually look at what the robot is doing on your phone and you can control mm-hmm. it as well. And so because wow. of because of that, we have to have good internet connection. Um, and so it doesn't need to be perfect by any means, but the, we've yeah. got a lot of fail safe on the robots where if there's internet, if you lose internet connection, we've got the luxury where it can just stop and not move. It's different than, but- it's different than that. Uh, driverless consumer vehicle where yes. if, there's, if you lose signal you can't just stop you got to figure out how to gradually go to a place we've got the luxury because we move at a snail's pace to just mm-hmm. stop and so um we've got those fail safes in place but we for sure need good internet to be able to to be able to do it uh starlink right now um it's been decent that's uh that's been that's been a godsend and so being able to set that up yeah. at the at the unit or at the the farm has helped you know there's I'm seeing more and more folks that are finding ways to get creative to get good internet at their facility, mm-hmm. but it's it's such a long ways to go. And I think I yeah. think that's something that you know, five years from now, I think we'll look back and say, "How did we survive without solid internet?" We're just not. We're just yeah. we're currently we're currently in the good old days, and sometimes you don't know you are until you're out of yeah. them. And I think that's where we're at. Yeah. Um. My husband and I live just outside of Ames, and we just got internet two years ago. Um. It was after kind of the COVID thing. And I don't know how we made it through COVID because I was working at home just using my phone hotspot. And it's it's incredible the difference. Like now we can have a ring doorbell. Perhaps <laughs> that wasn't possible before. So I I think it's it's an interesting challenge because of the different types of facilities that could use any of these autonomous systems. I mean, one of the requirements is the ability to watch monitor control and sometimes you're limited by other infrastructure that you may or may not be able to control yep that's exactly right and so being able yeah. to have 
being able to have a good understanding of what the needs are. And that's part of this as well as like, we, if, if there's no way of being able to get solid signal, we have no right putting a robot in that barn. Like it's just, right. it doesn't make sense on anyone's level to do that. So, so far we haven't had to worry about that, but we're fully aware of that. Not everyone in the world has great signal at this point. So yeah, if I, especially out in rural areas, because you know, it, that that's part of the appeal is to not be totally connected all the time, but it can also be kind of the bad part <laughs> living outside. <laughs> um, so, so since you've been working in the poultry facilities, has there anything, has the facility itself like showed you anything about where you should be taking the world of autonomy for poultry? Like did, when we do research, the bird kind of guide us and tell the answer. So is there something that you've kind of learned from working directly in the house that maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise? Like are, are the birds giving you any secrets or future autonomous ideas just because of something they're doing? Um, to a certain degree. I mean, we see, you know, with especially being up here in Nebraska, you have seasonality. And so yeah, what are the birds they they want to go to the wall well why are a lot of them going to the wall it's probably cooler there right and so those birds that are going to the wall they're probably not growing as quick and so how do we how do we get them to move closer so they can eat a little bit more drink a little more grow a little bit quicker and so we see some of those behavioral um those behavioral um characteristics of of the bird and say well yeah we need to figure out even if we're not even if all the deads have been picked up maybe we just need to drive around the perimeter and be able to get them off the walls so that they yeah. they stay in a place where they're closer to food, closer to water. And so we yeah. see some of those things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That Well, that one's are actually a really good and interesting one. The, the wallflowers technically, you know, they want to be out away maybe from the other birds, but they, they could be on the path for being smaller or getting sick. So yeah, that's really awesome. <laughs> Definitely. And a lot of times too, I mean, like, when you look at a lot of, of growers, when they're just passing through the barn, they don't walk down the middle. Mm-hmm. They walk right by the walls. Right. And so what do you think about right. where where there's any pathogens or anything that birds could pick up something? A lot of times it's by the walls. And so keeping yeah. them off the walls is something that, that makes makes a lot of sense on many levels. So from a, a, a data standpoint, um, what do you what do you foresee as your guys' role in helping the grower understand the output? It seems like your robots have a lot of capability as far as measuring, you know, gases, temperature, maybe wetness of litter, that sort of thing. Um, how do you how do you let the grower know about the capabilities and how do they use the data on the other side? I think sometimes just having the ability to, to read or understand the data is half the battle and then getting it in a usable manner is the other half because there's a lot of information that can be picked up, it sounds like. Definitely. Yeah, so we look at there's there's five distinct steps that we look at. There's data, there's the collection of that organization, analysis, and ultimately it leads to a decision. And so when we look at that, I think we're light years off from being able to say any data that we get off of the robot is going to make a decision and there's there's no human involved. I fully believe in 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 humans being the best indicator or the best um the best source for animal husbandry. And so I don't think folks are more hungry for data. They're more hungry for insights. And so being able to say, hey, we just need to collect this data. Can we organize it and maybe analyze it, but then put it into the hands of the grower to be able to say, oh, here's here's a piece of the puzzle that I hadn't considered and let them make that decision. And I think I think that's part of the reason for a lot of 
for a lack of adoption of the technology is we just do too much too fast where people get uncomfortable. Um, you know, that data collection, organization, analysis, the decision. If you do that all at once to someone that's been growing birds for 20, 30 years, they're, they're not naturally going to say, yeah, sign me up. I don't want to do my job. They, you, <laughs> yeah. we, we need to figure out how to help these help these folks do a better job. They're doing an amazing job already, but how can you how can you help them be able to make their life just a little bit easier? And it's not by saying that their brain is second place to a robot that they have to pay for. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up on any levels. And I think honestly, just technology wise and where we're at, um, I don't, I don't think we're capable of being able to do that. So let's not pretend that we are and let's figure out how we can use the human brain, but just be able to put the right information into the human brain for them to make the best decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that is a awesome approach (laughs) because the years of expertise that a human can gather over time just by being in the poultry houses will never be beat out right by a robot. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we're a long ways from that. I'd like to be able to say we're there, but we're not. Um, is, there, is there any other uh, idea or concept that we haven't covered um, in our about half hour of talking so far? I don't think so. This has been really good. I appreciate uh, all of the questions. And I think looking at automation within within production is is something that We've got to get there, right? You look at 15, 20 years ago when people talked about precision ag on the row crop side. I think that's I think that's where we're at with with uh, broiler production. And so um, it's not a matter of if it's it's really a matter of when. And I think that that the the quicker we can embrace and adopt some of these technologies, I think the better off we're going to be. And I think the the more collaborative we can be, the better off we're going to be. And not everyone be so tight fisted with their technology and their data, but truly put the grower first. I think that that makes that makes life easier for everyone. Yeah. Oh, I'm a, I'm on board. Um, I do have uh, one last question before we get to our three questions that we ask everybody. Um, do you have any good names of your robots? Because I think I would have to come up with some good fun names. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Buzz Lightyear seems like a good name for a robot. <laughs> well, we, oh, we had... So when we introduce the robot, especially if they're really young birds, the birds just flock to it. And so every once in a while, I'll refer to it as the chick magnet, um, just because everyone's everyone's moving next to the thing. So whether it's appropriate or not, it's just it's the behavioral or the behaviors of the birds. So yeah. um, that's that's the most creative one we'd come up with. Well, I think I mean I think that if I had let's say. I don't know how many you would put in a house normally, but let's say there was two, I would name them both. I mean, why not? Like, then when something bad's going wrong, you can yell its name out, you know? Right. <laughs> or, or if it's uh, docking instead of picking up mortality, then you can just scream at it, you know, using its middle name <laughs> too, so it knows it's in trouble. <laughs> I, I love think that. That's the tough one. Yeah. Well, I I sincerely hope that if you ever get into the turkey facility and the the finisher and you do have videos of turkeys riding it, that I will be the first person that <laughs> knows about it. I will send because your way, I, I promise I that. Think, I honestly think that is a possibility of them riding on the thing and showing you where all your flaws are as far as uh, secure construction. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's time for our famous three. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. DSM, 
helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. They believe the following additives are necessary in the poultry dietary. Functional lipids for an efficient dietary energy management. Phospholipids for emulsification, achieving a better nutrient intake. MCTs to provide energy and modulate the microflora within the intestines and enzymes for elevated use of fibrous materials and byproducts. Natural Biologics is using cutting-edge science to dig deeper into the poultry health challenges you face. By gathering scientific evidence, they identify the most effective combinations of natural ingredients that improve animal health. Visit naturalbiologics.com poultry to see the newest research in both turkeys and chickens. So, so to close our, uh, our chat today, I want to ask you the, the three questions that we ask everyone. Um, and the first question is, what's your favorite poultry-related book? Um, I wish I said I read more specifically on poultry. I'm very much a hands-on learner. I think the book I refer back the most is um, Broiler Breeder Production by uh, by Leeson. And that's oh, one that yeah. I find myself looking back at. It's it's an oldie for sure, but I, I've realized like that's that book got referred to me so much when talking with growers that it's, it's a bit and of then- a staple of being able to refer back to it. Yeah, so that's a good one. Uh, what is uh, your favorite non-poultry related book or something you're reading right now? Um, so I'm reading, uh, I've read through it a couple times. I've listened to it a couple times. Um, there's an author out there called David Goggins, and he's really big on, he's a former Navy SEAL. Um, I really like reading on mental resiliency, and he's got a book oh, called, yeah. uh, called Can't Hurt Me. And uh, yeah. I really like that book. It's it talks about his journey of becoming a seal and what that looked like, and wow. him uh, his journey of that he went through seal training three times. Um, he run he's ran uh, I can't remember how many ultra marathons, but he's ran four ultra marathons in five weekends. I mean the guy is he's unbelievable. Wow. If I got even to ten percent of that guy, I'd be good with it. But yeah, I like I like that book. I'm gonna that again. That the people I I've got a family member who runs ultra marathons and that is a special kind of person because you your whole weekend is just a run to train so that's incredible <laughs> i know i couldn't do it yeah gosh i like running but not that far I like <laughs> <laughs> i hear you um so my last question is is for for those that might be thinking about the poultry industry um as a future career or who are starting into it right now um how do you become successful in the poultry industry and what sets the, those who are successful apart from those who are not? It's such a grassroots industry. It's the beauty of poultry, right? If if you, we say it all the time at, in the office is it, you can go a long ways in life if you treat a human like a human. And that's, love- that's the poultry industry. If, if you try to show up with, with some whiz bang tool, unless you have a relationship in place, like you're probably not going to get very far. And it's not because yeah. people don't want to listen. And they don't want to be helped. It's just, there's a certain degree of authenticity yeah, that okay. comes within the poultry industry where you need to be able to take care of an actual need and you get treated really, really kindly and really fairly. And so check the ego at the door, put yourself in a posture where you can practice a little bit of humility, be able to understand what the needs are, get to know folks, um, you know, and I started with it, but treating a human like a human 
will take you light years into this career. And if you if you're incapable of doing that, it's it's really hard to to be able to to move the needle in any productive way. Yeah. Oh, that that's really good advice. <laughs> I think it's actually less about knowledge. I think that the industry is very knowledgeable, but they're very willing to share that mm-hmm. if if you if you show them the respect and don't act like you know everything. And and I think that's true oh, in a lot yes. of industries, but it's for sure true in poultry. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Well, thank you for your time today. This is really exciting and I I learned quite a bit and I'm excited that uh, yourself and your team are so people-centered because you're not trying to replace them. You're trying to make their, their job easier. And I think that and the humility along that goes along with creating such a technical product for use by somebody out who might not have full great internet access. That's amazing. <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah, it's been really great to join you. I appreciate the invitation.